We thank you for joining us this morning. My name is Jacob. I'm the preaching minister. Uh, this morning, we're going to jump right into a time of prayers for one another. Sometimes we do this at the close. Uh, sometimes we do communion in the middle of service. Th this morning, we're going to do it at the end. So just the next half hour or so of your life is going to look like this. We're going to take about 10 minutes. We're going to pray in this room. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you and say, how can I pray with you this week? And you might say, hey, I'm glad you asked. I'm going through a hard time. Share as much as you're willing to share. Or you might say, hey, I'm really excited because something awesome is coming up on Thursday or this weekend or there's an event, and I just be in prayer about this. This is how we share our lives with each other. This is how we lift one another up in prayer. Uh, we believe God wants to hear our big prayer requests and also the ones that we say, I don't know, that, that doesn't seem very significant. It's all part of our lives. We want uh, Jesus to be at the center, and this is one way to do that. So in a moment, we're going to pray together, just turn you guys loose to have some uh, free-form time of prayer. Then I'm going to come back and share some prepared remarks in the sermon series that we've been going through over the last few weeks, and then that will lead us to communion. We do communion. We celebrate the Lord's Supper every week in this congregation, and that'll be the last thing that we do, give you some time uh, of reflection as we take the bread, we drink the cup together. So that's where we're going to be going. Uh, if you have a prayer request you'd like the congregation to know about specifically, you can write it on one of these cards and hand it to me or hand it to, to Phil. Uh, Phil, wave your hand. You're, you're meeting all kinds of people. Phil, you're by the door. That's why I pointed at you. You can give it to birthday boy Darren, too. These are our two shepherds here at the Tri-Valley Church. But uh, if you have something you want everybody to know about and be praying about, you can write that down. And then we'll send it out in an email. This goes out every week, and people will be praying for those things. Somebody handed me a card this morning. Laura Ranieri is going out of town this week, and she's asking for prayers for a safe trip to a conference in Savannah, Georgia, and that Mateo will be safe while she's away. So please keep Laura in your prayers and everybody else that we've been praying for on the prayer list. And whenever somebody gets up and announces all the prayer requests they can think of, they usually overlook someone. But when we turn to people next to us and online, if you're joining us, you can share your prayer requests in the chat, or if you're with somebody, you can pray together as well. We cover a lot of ground this way. So at this time, that's what I want you to do, is just turn to somebody next to you and say, how can I pray for you this week? Let them respond, and then take a few minutes to pray together. And I will come back up here, and like I said, in about 10 minutes, 10, 12 minutes or so, uh, and say a bunch of stuff. That's where we're going. Everybody get it? Ready? Turn to somebody and ask the question, how can I pray with you this week? I was telling Hank that for some people... 10, 12 minutes is not enough time. And for other people, it's an eternity. <laughs> we knocked that thing out in two minutes, and then we were done. So if you're still talking, that's good. This is good, good ministry. I love it when this becomes a house of prayer. Just, you, I can't hear anything specific, but I'm hearing the prayers of the saints going up before the throne of God. And we know that God hears. We know that God responds. God cares about the things that we uh, are going through are going on in our lives. It's interesting that you mentioned time, Jim. He said that was two and a half minutes and not two minutes. Now, okay, I'll get my act together. If you think about how we keep time, it's sort of interesting. You might say, what day is it? Well, it's February 25th. It's, it's Sunday. It's, some might say, it's the last day of my weekend. If I ask you what time it is, you might say, oh, it's about 
40 minutes until lunch. How we keep time is, is interesting. 500 years ago, if you ask somebody what time it was, they might say something like, oh, it's lauds. It's vespers. It's the third bell of the church tower. They might say it's the second Sunday in Lent. 500 years ago, people were more likely to keep time based on the Christian calendar, the prayers of the day, the festivals, the, the events that kind of separated our time. There's an author named Richard Beck. He wrote a book called Hunting Magic Eels. And in this book, he traces these developments that happened throughout human history, specifically in the last 500 years for sure, but definitely since the Enlightenment period. He says there's certain things and, and changes, shifts that happened that kind of drew our attention away from God. And he said, counting the time not by the Christian calendar and by the, the daily prayers of the people uh, was one of those changes. We keep time differently in a, in a more of a secular way. And time is one of those things that's important to all of us, and we live in a society now where we're certainly counting the hours, we're counting the days, we're looking forward to the next big thing that's on our calendar. We don't like it when time is out of our control. We're in a series at the beginning of this year called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. Liturgy is, is the thing that I referred to before. It's the, it's the way that Christians worship. It's, the, it's literally the work of the people, how we encounter God. Morning prayers, afternoon prayers. If you're in a monastery like Brother Lawrence that I introduced you to last week, you would pray seven or eight different times throughout the day, and that would be your timepiece. How long has it been since our uh, 9 o'clock prayer, since our midday prayer, since our evening gathered prayer time? Uh, this is a liturgy. We find in our lives today that we have different liturgies. We have different rhythms. We have different daily rituals and practices. And these become our liturgy. And sometimes we say, you know, they don't have anything to do with the Christian calendar or the church bells or uh, God is not our focus. But the purpose of this series is to sort of remind us and attach these spiritual practices to daily rhythms and habits that we have. Like we talked about making the bed in the morning. We talked about brushing our teeth. We talked about losing your keys and getting into a fight with somebody uh, who you care about and that you don't want to be in a fight with. Today, the daily occurrence, and maybe it's not daily for some of you, and if it is, I'm sorry, that's unfortunate. The daily occurrence that you may run into is sitting in traffic. Nod your head if you don't like sitting in traffic. Can I get an amen for boo traffic? What's the opposite of amen? No man. Can I get a no man for traffic? No man. Keep that traffic away from me. I told you last week that I went to a preacher's conference in San Diego, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of last week. I got in my car. I had a flight that was in the morning, and I thought, oh, man, I'm going to be fighting some traffic between Livermore and SFO. But guess what? It was President's Day. So a lot of people weren't on the freeway. I made great time on my drive. Yeah, you can clap for that. Thank you, Lord, for no traffic all the way to SFO. I parked in long-term parking, but then I had to wait for the air train. It took a while to get there. 
And then I had to wait through the security check line while they uh, x-rayed my bag. I had to wait in another line while a bomb-sniffing dog made sure that I was okay to get on the plane. And then when I got to the gate, with plenty of time to spare to catch the flight, they made an announcement saying, I'm sorry, folks, we're, uh, we're running a little bit behind. We're still waiting for the flight crew. Like the people whose job it is to be on the airplane and open the door and let us in and count us and make sure that the hatch doesn't fly off, uh, we waited for them. Our flight was delayed because they hadn't arrived yet. So I'm waiting for those folks. But then they arrived. We got on our flight. I made it into San Diego in time, but then I had to wait for the city bus, bus number 992, that would take me from the airport to the hotel. had to wait for my uh, hotel room to be ready. I had to wait for the conference to start. We went to dinner that night. I had to wait for my meal to arrive, and on, and on, and on. There was no traffic, but I did a lot of waiting. Maybe you can relate to waiting. We're always waiting on someone, or we're waiting on something. As I did all this waiting on Monday, I was reminded of all the waiting that happened in Scripture. God's people waiting for deliverance in Egypt. For 400 years, they were slaves in Egypt, waiting for waiting in the wilderness, waiting to enter the promised land, the prayers of the barren women who are waiting and praying and hoping for a child, God's people waiting in exile, waiting to return to their temple, waiting for the Messiah, waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, waiting for the return of Christ, waiting for the resurrection, waiting for God's restored kingdom. There's a a theme I'm starting to sense here. God's people have always been awaiting people. And we're awaiting people. And we're God's people. So waiting should be something that we're used to or at least not surprised by. And yet, we hate to wait. Can I get an amen? Turn to somebody next to you and say, I hate to wait. It's understandable. I hate it too. Some of you are waiting for this sermon to end right now. And that's fine. But when we think about what the feeling that we have while we're waiting in traffic or in the cabin of the airplane for all the people in front of us to get out of the way, we realize we have this desire to control our time. We want to control our schedule. We want to control the clock to control other people and make sure that they don't get in the way of our plans and how we use our time. Because time is this finite commodity in our lives. You can't make more time. We all get the same amount of time. It's just about how we manage it and arrange it. It makes us anxious when we have to wait. Stop and ask yourself, though, what are you waiting for? Why are you in such a hurry in situations where you're forced to wait. Well, I'm, I'm waiting for the next thing, the next big thing, maybe the next fun thing. Or maybe if we're honest, we'll say, we're just waiting for the next moment in our lives where we're in control again, where I'm controlling myself, and not the person in front of me. 
There's a quote by Alan Saunders that was made popular by John Lennon. Life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Maybe you can relate to that. Always looking over what's going on now to the next thing. Looking beyond, well, I'm going to do this. I'm making these plans. But what's happening in real time? What's happening to you right now? Waiting can be a major imposition and a frustration in our lives. And if it's not waiting in traffic, if you can't relate to that one, fill in the blank. Waiting for your uh, internet to go faster. Waiting for someone to reply to the group text. Waiting in a long line. Waiting for a slow person or child who can't seem to ever find their socks when it's time to get in the van. Lucy. Um, That can be our experience of waiting, or we can look at it as an opportunity, an opportunity for transformation. Waiting, as you may know, can be a teacher of patience. It can also be an opportunity to acknowledge God and God's presence in our lives. They say uh, you shouldn't pray for patience, because when you pray for patience, God does not send you patience in an Amazon package. Instead, God sends you traffic. Pray for patience. You might get an opportunity to learn it and to develop it. My focus, my hope this morning is that we can think of it as an opportunity. Jesus has a good word for you when you're waiting in traffic or waiting downstairs or waiting on someone. And his message is also an invitation. And the invitation is be with me. Let's listen to what he says uh, in John 15. Jesus tells his disciples, this is the night that he's arrested. This is one of the, the last things that Jesus says before he goes to the cross and lays down his life. He tells them, listen guys, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I'll stop there, but Jesus goes on to say the words that Kelly read for us earlier. Love one another. Show people that you're my disciples. Bearing the fruit means loving one another. Remember these words, not just as an answer to a trivia question, but put them into practice. The verses that I just read now, it's five verses from John 15. And Jesus uses the phrase, remain in me, six times. Did you notice that? Remain in me, remain in me. If you remain in me, then this. If you don't remain in me, then that. Remain in me, remain in me. You might be familiar with the old King James translation, abide in me. That's such an old-timey word that we don't use, but I love it. Just abide with me. Be with me. Other translations say, live in me or stay with me. But here we hear Jesus saying, remain in me. This must be important. One of the last things that he says, he repeats it several times. Jesus wants to 
be with us. My friend Eric Wilson was telling a story the other day about growing up in St. Louis. But every summer, his parents would send him to the rural part of uh, Missouri, and he would go spend time on his grandparents' farm. And he loved it because he was a city boy. He'd get out to the farm. There's all kinds of stuff to do. But when all the chores and the work were done, his grandparents would just sit on the front porch and invite him to come and sit as well. And he'd be like, okay, what are we going to do? They said, we're doing it. They called it keeping time with each other. We're just going to sit here. We might say something. We might not. But we're going to sit. We're going to remain in each other, abide together. That's a nice picture, isn't it? Don't you want to be on the porch with Eric Wilson's grandparents? And we lead the kinds of lives that make you go, man, I would just love to sit and be. Maybe do something. Maybe not do something. Here, that's a nice thought. We've kind of slowed things down quite a bit. But we go back into our hurried lives, and we realize we're like Eric Wilson. We're city boys. We want the city. What we need maybe is the country house and the porch. More intentional time abiding with Jesus. Remain in me, and my words will remain in you. They will give you life. They will direct you. I'm reminded of Jesus saying, Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things, but your sister Mary has chosen the best thing. And what did she choose to do? Sit at his feet. Keep time with the Lord. Listen. Learn from him. Abide. Remaining in Christ. Peter, walk out to me on the water. It's safe. Keep your eyes on me. And he does. But then he sees the storm, and he sees the waves and the wind and gets scared and he begins to sink. And Jesus reaches for him and brings him back into the boat but says, what happened? You were with me and then you weren't. And things changed. This is an important call that Jesus makes to remain in him, abide with him. We often don't hear the call because there's too many other things in our lives, shouting at us too many other voices or demands or too little time in our day, in our week. The average person takes out their phone and checks it 144 times a day. You know that? Some of you are like, that's nothing. I got that beat. Psalm 62, the psalmist says, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will never be shaken. And he goes on to say, yes, my soul. The psalmist talking to his own soul. Listen up, myself. Listen up, my true essence. This is good advice. Find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Amen. So where is God? How do we spend time 
with God. Eric Wilson traveled to the countryside to make time, to spend time on the porch with his grandparents. If he needed his grandparents, he knew where to find them. Where is God located? Where can we find God? His address? The only one, Heaven Street. <laughs> if you called God, what was his phone number? One. Right? Boop. I can get a hold of God anytime. I need to. We sometimes have this attitude that says, God is in the church. God meets us here. And maybe if we sing well enough, and if we sing loud enough, and if our, our worship and our prayers are pleasing in his sight, then he'll pop in and make a cameo. Sometimes we think like that. Sometimes we think, well, God is in the place. He can be anywhere. He's in my morning prayer time. God's in my back porch because that's where I go to meet with God. He's always faithful. He's always on time. That's where I meet with God. For some people, you might have an incredible mountaintop experience with a, a worship gathering, or maybe you've been to a summer event where Christians were gathering and drawing their attention toward the Lord, and it was maybe literally on a mountaintop, and you said, God was there. I met God there. We sometimes say God showed up when we turn our attention toward God. But you guys know the truth, right? God is here. God is here. He is with us. He promised to be with us. He promised to never leave us and never forsake us. And there's this mysterious thing that happened after the resurrection of Jesus when the Holy Spirit was given. The Holy Spirit that Jesus talks about in John 15, 16, and 17. I'm sending my counselor. I'm sending my spirit to remind you of my words. To give you peace. To give you advice to give you guidance my i'm going to dwell in my people god is not on top of the mountain with moses making the ten commandments god is not in the tabernacle god is not in the temple this one building in this one mountain in this one part of the globe god is in god's people that's exciting that's that's an exciting reality we need to acknowledge amanda and lisa and i were talking about this last week we were talking about pentecost the Holy Spirit was given. And God is accessible. God is within the hearts of his people. Uh, Jesus was crucified. You put him on the cross. It turns out he was the Messiah. Whoops, that's a huge mistake. We realize we made a mistake. What shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, all of you, for the forgiveness of sins. That's very, very important. But what does he say right after that? That you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that God is right here with you. You don't have to go someplace to meet God. You don't have to invite God and hope that he's not too busy to show up. A lot of the times, all we need to do is turn our attention toward God. And that's why it feels sometimes when we come to worship that God is here, or when we have those mountaintop experiences. It's not because God was there and he wasn't there before, but now he is. It's because we said, let's turn off all the other sounds. Let's put everything else aside and just go, Lord, we want to remain in you. We want to abide with you. Let's just sit on the porch together. And we go, oh, God, is, he's there. He's so faithful. And we need him. There's this television show from the 90s called Boy Meets World. I figured like 10% of you would 
know this show, and then 5% of you would care about this show, but uh, it, was a, it was a show I grew up on. I'll tell you a little bit about it. Uh, uh, it's a story of students in school, and it's like a coming-of-age kind of thing. And um, they did five seasons of this show. In the first season, it was the main characters were Corey and Sean, and then some like peripheral characters that were in school with them, and one of them was a kid named Minkus. And he was kind of a brainiac, kind of a nerdy kid. He was part of their friend group, but he'd, he'd show up every once in a while. So there was Minkus. Season two, there's no Minkus. Nothing happens to him. They don't like kill him off in the show or anything like that. He just doesn't show up. The actor's not there. He's not written into any of the episodes. There's no Minkus. Season three, same thing. Season four, no Minkus. Season five, no Minkus until the finale of the show, the last episode of season five. They're graduating from high school. School is over, and there's this moment in the show where Corey and Sean say, man, what, it's been a crazy ride. Think of all these people that we became friends with, some people we got to know better than others. And then the camera pans over, and guess who it is? Minkus. And they go, Minkus. Where have you been? And he says, I've been here the whole time. I was just in another part of the school. You guys stopped hanging out with me. You were over here, and I was over there, but, like, I didn't go anywhere. I've been here the whole time. And they go, oh, wow, huh, that's kind of weird. This grand return of Minkus. How does that connect to what we're talking about? I think God is with us the whole time. And just sometimes we realize, God, where have you been? I've been here, but you've been over there. I used to be a main character in your story. We used to keep time together. You used to abide in me, but uh, it wasn't anything malicious. It wasn't anything intentional. Sometimes we just drift away. <laughs> but the reason this finale is great is because they say, ah, Minkus, he's back. We want to acknowledge him. Maybe Corey and Sean reconnected with Minkus. Maybe they all went to college together. Who knows? But for us, it's a reminder that there's this opportunity to acknowledge that God was with us the whole time. God didn't go anywhere. But we come together and we say, Lord, I need to abide with you. I want to keep this command of Jesus to remain in you, to let you be that part of my life. So, maybe the next time that you're stuck in traffic, or stuck behind someone in line, or contemplating what it means to have my time controlled by somebody else, maybe that's an opportunity for us to say, well, being slowed down, I'm not doing what I thought I was going to be doing anyway, here's what I'm going to do instead. I'm going to turn my attention toward the Lord. I'm going to keep time with Jesus. I'm going to pray a prayer of thanksgiving maybe visualize, if you're in traffic, just visualize Jesus sitting in the seat next to you and saying, okay, this isn't us being prevented from going to the next thing in life. This is the thing that's happening. I don't want life to happen to me while I'm busy making other plans. I want life in Christ who will never leave us and never forsake us.